Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to another Baseball America podcast. I'm John. He's JJ. Joining us today, Jim Callis from the Chicagoland area. It's obviously a big podcast if we drag Jim into the podcast area. So. It's a fun podcast. It's talent rankings. It is going to be a big podcast, though. Uh, so it's our third podcast of the week. So we thank everybody for uh, subscribing, uh, whether it's on iTunes or downloading it at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, Jim, you wrote the talent rankings. All three of us contributed to it. So let's just dive right in. And I guess the first part we need to talk about is that we do these twice. We do a talent rankings with the prospect handbook in December. And we do a second talent rankings now here in early March. And I'm not trying to minimize the first one because I think it's important for us to do one in the prospect handbook. But to me, this is the real organization talent rankings because this snapshot I think is a little bit more – it's worth a little bit more, Jim, because it's actually going into a season. It's after an offseason of of roster machinations as opposed to the other one, which is really more – that snapshot is dictated more by the deadline of the book than by the industry's concerns. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, I think we, we do the rankings in the handbook. So when you're looking at the handbook and you're looking at the, the 900-plus reports in there, you can kind of put the guys in a little better perspective. But, you know, we've been doing org rankings, uh, talent rankings, going back, I want to say, to 1983. And before the handbook, we always did them, like you said, kind of resetting going into the current season. And I think those are the definitive ones and the handbook ones. Like any of these, regardless of what we do, then we always use the phrase, I think, the Will Lingo coin, that's a snapshot in time. It's not necessarily a testament to how good a job uh, the organization does at, at producing talent or finding talent. It's just the talent that's in the organization right now. And, and I do think that this year – there were more significant trades between the end of the handbook and, and these, these second rankings uh, than I can ever remember. You know, as well as if you throw in the Darvish and Suspetta signings, it, it seems like we ripped up the old rankings more than we usually wind up doing. Yeah, JJ, I mean, like, uh, th- th- it was a more active offseason, especially changing at the top. I mean, I don't think we were all – I think it was close in December with the Nationals being our number one team. Uh, in our work talent rankings at that time, it was kind of an easy call that they were not number one anymore and that oh, the Rangers would move up to number one. Yeah, the, and there, that was a very easy call. It's, it's funny, when we talk about the snapshot in time, one thing to remember, even since we've done these talent rankings, I don't think any rankings would change, but farm systems have changed. The Astros and the Royals made a trade, so we have seen a, a top 30 prospect go from one organization to another. Right. Again, wouldn't not, affect not, it. Not significant, not, not but significant yeah. Not significant enough, but it's, 
it's a ever changing right situation. It's and never static, and and that's one of the things that like uh, you know it's a, it's it can be frustrating to see old lists <laughs> referenced sometimes. Uh, I hope that people understand that this is a snapshot in time, but I still think it's important. And I think one of the reasons it's important is to, to me it's especially important with a team like the Rangers, with an organization like the Rangers, the top guys, because it's very rare, it feels like it's rare, that you have an organization that arguably could have the most talent at the major league level and the most talent at the minor league level. And, Jim, I think that's just a testament to John Daniels and his team of guys at Texas that it's hard to simultaneously compete in the major leagues and assemble talent at the minor league level. They've done both. They have, and, and, and you know, I think we've mentioned this before too. They, they've really clicked in every level of talent acquisition. You know, whether you're talking about, you know, big league acquisitions, you know, like, like trading for Josh Hamilton, whether you're talking about, you know, international signings of what essentially are big leaguers, such as you Darvish, to drafting well, to trading well, to aggressively going after the international market. I, I think not only do they have the best farm system, and like you said, you can make a case that they have the best major league talent as well, I, I don't think anybody has done such a balanced job of acquiring talent in, in all the areas that you can acquire talent. And there are some organizations that excel in one area versus another, but, but they seem to excel in, in almost every area. JJ, is there? do you have any uh, qualms, I guess, about... <laughs> Uh, ranking the Rangers one. Did anybody else compete with them for that? Review? No, and, and I feel good about this. One of the things I feel good about this, I was talking with a, uh, a front office executive last night, telling him where his team ranked, and he said, so who's number one, the Rangers? Yeah. Which it feels, you know, it, it's it's something where I, it, it, it feels good to hear, like, okay, from, from people inside baseball who kind of echo what we're saying, and we didn't didn't have to say, here's your multiple choice. He just said, you know, yeah, I mean, seeing the Rangers farm talent, it, it's pretty impressive. And the weird thing to me is that um, they didn't have a great draft last year. It just seems like it's been, um, you know, they've done it with, like you said, Jim, they kind of hit on all cylinders. Um, it, it does feel like after that we really didn't have a great consensus in the office. Uh, you know, yeah, two, we had two through several five. clubs. We, we all had different clubs in that two through five. We have the same you know, mix of teams, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, Padres, Royals. Royals. We had those, it seemed like we all kind of had those uh, jumbled up. And I guess really, Jim, what it comes down to for each individual person who, as we're all contributing to this, is whether you value depth or star power. Because if you value depth, the Padres really have assembled quite a bit of depth. Star power, I don't know that the Padres necessarily are right there with some of the other clubs we just mentioned, especially, say, Arizona. No, although I, I do think that even if we all have the same balance in our mind of, of star power versus depth and upper-level talent versus lower-level talent or what have you, it's simply a matter with these rankings. I mean, you're, you know, there's what, a couple hundred players in every farm system. You know, We're not going to have the same feelings about the same prospects in each organization, so I, I think that's why you have these, these differences. I think we, for the most part, I think most of the organizations we had kind of ranked in the same general area, um, you know, I, I do think the Padres do have some upside guys. You know, I, I do think Reimer Liriano is kind of one of the the the, the high, more underhyped, higher ceiling prospects um, along. But you know, I, I agree with San Diego, and I think that to some extent Toronto too stand out more to me for their depth than 
the star power guys, although with Toronto, at least, you know, you have a Travis Darno who's an obvious guy. You have an Anthony Ghost, who you can dream on. You have a, a Jay Riznick, who I like a little bit more than Ghost. But I think both those might be the two deepest organizations in, in the minors. The, the, and I've said this on the podcast before, Jim, but to me, the thing that jumps out with the Blue Jays is, is I feel like the Blue Jays are, if you were picking the team that could ascend to next year's, the top of the rankings, if everything comes together, they have so much low-level talent. But I do think they have a number of guys who are high-ceiling, but you can't rank them that high yet because they have to do something. And to me, that, that their depth is, is such that I feel like the Padres' depth is impressive depth. They have a lot of upper-level guys who we project to be productive big leaguers, maybe not stars. With the Blue Jays' depth, that my feeling is, is that there are a number of guys who could flame out or could be really high-ceiling, you know, could end up being stars. They're just so far away that it's hard to really have a, a whole lot of confidence in them yet. I think that's fair. I think the Padres, you know, their depth is is maybe more solid upper level guys. Although I would say the year from now, I mean, we could think, you know, guys like Austin Hedges and Joe Ross out of last year's draft, and, and even true. Corey Spangenberg, could be guys who are regarded as, you know, very very, you know, high level prospect. You know, shoot up the top 100. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I, I do think they have some of those guys, but, but you're right. I mean, Toronto. Toronto, you know, has a tremendous collection of high ceiling guys, and so do the Rangers. You know, we were touching on them. I mean, the Rangers, I, I think, are similar to the Blue Jays in that regard. That you, you look at their low A and their short season roster, and you see a ton of guys you can dream on. Now, they still need a lot of development, but there's a ton of upside there. I think it's pretty interesting, guys, that three of our top seven teams in the rankings are in the same American League West, um, and I think that's, you know, we talk about the Orioles and how. They're the fifth best major league roster in the American League East and the fifth best farm system in the American League East. You look at the American League West, if I'm an Astros fan, I know a lot of them are already disappointed that they're going to the American League anyway and they're ending 50 years of National League tradition. I, I, there's, some, I, there's some there there. I understand that, that frustration, but especially just at this snapshot, they're going to the American League West. The Rangers are a juggernaut. The Angels, who have the worst farm system, have this – I think very talented, very expensive major league, uh, major league. And they've shown that they'll spend money year after year to keep it that way. That's a great way to put it. And then you have the A's who've just gone through a rebuild, number seven in our talent rankings. The Mariners going through a rebuild with some interesting young talent, at the big league level, and really high ceiling pitching uh, that that could be ready at the very least in 2013. I think um, at six, the Angel, the A's at seven, the Rangers at one, and the Astros could be the Orioles. Here very soon. I actually, I mean, I don't like the Astros' prospects for the near future because of what the Astros have in their system. I'm not as, I don't think it's quite as daunting or anywhere near as daunting, say, as the Orioles are because I don't think the teams are as balanced. The Rangers, yes, the Rangers look like to me, you know, like we've just said, very talented major leagues, very talented minor leagues. They're going to be good for a while. The Angels don't really have a lot coming up to their farm system right now besides guys like Trout and Garrett Richards who are already in the major leagues or will be after this season. So you can spend, but spending year after year, it's not like the Angels have been in the playoffs you know, the last couple of years. And then you look at the other teams, the Mariners still have an awful lot of pieces they have to put into place in the big league level, especially in terms of getting the lineup going. So I don't think the Mariners are necessarily a juggernaut. And, 
And I wrote a call in the offseason about this. I, I'm just not sold on the A's. I, I guess I'll believe it when I see it again with the A's because the A's, the A's are the perfect example of the, these two different snapshots in time from when we did the rankings in December in the handbook to when we just did them in March. Right. The A's were 26th. <laughs> the A's were the, were, what, were the fifth worst farm system in baseball, and then they basically traded – their best big league players at, you know, for prospects. Now they're up to number seven. But they've, they've done this two or three times over the years, and it just winds up being this, this, this endless cycle of, well, we can't win because we can't get a new ballpark. You know, it's like they're the Eeyore franchises. So we're just <laughs> going to get rid of everybody. It's doom and gloom. We'll bring in all these prospects. And then two years from now, or two years later, it's like, well, you know, these prospects weren't as good as we necessarily thought they were. So we'll trade the two or three good players we have. We'll do this again and again and again. I, I don't see anything that leads me to believe the A's are going to be a, any kind of juggernaut or, or, or fearsome rival. I, so I, I see the, the parallel. I don't think the Astros are going to win anytime soon because they don't have a lot of talent on hand in either the majors or the minors. Right. But I, I don't think you, you have teams like – you know, the Yankees, you know, still have an upper level farm system after trading Jesus Montero. They've won the better ones. The Red Sox, who like the Yankees spend a ton of money, have a top 10 farm system. The Blue Jays, you know, have the fifth best farm system. The Rays, you know, have the eighth best farm system. Those teams are all good at the major league level and have good farm systems. In the AL West, you kind of have a, a disconnect. You have some teams have good farm systems, but not good big league teams, and vice versa. The Rangers are really the only team that have both right now. That's a fine point. It's not. It's not. There, I think there's some parallels. It's not a direct comparison, but uh, I, I worry. Um, I, I think. That, I think the, Amer- the National, American League West is going to be pretty competitive. I think it's more competitive in a better division, than the National League Central. Um, even though I think the Central you know, can get a little bit undersold, um, but I, I think it's going to be a little bit surprising for uh, Astros fans. They're going to the big boy league, and they're going to a division that has, I think, a couple of franchises, especially in Texas. And I, I I believe in Seattle's talent. Um, I agree with you; they have some holes. Um, but I, I'm, I guess I'm putting my faith in Jack Zeta to fill some of those holes. That's Baseball America podcast uh, with John and JJ and Jim Callis. And Jim, uh, one other thing, and, and JJ obviously chime in on this a little bit too. I think it's intriguing that the Royals. Uh, we kind of glossed over them a little bit. I think it's pretty intriguing the Royals. Were number one last year. Had nine guys in our top 100 last year. Graduated a good deal of those. And yet we still have them number two uh, in our system, even though I don't feel like a lot of their pitchers had a great year last year, J.J., but you're the Royals expert. Obviously, Jim, you can chime in on this, but it does feel like the Royals have kind of a – they do have what you wrote about last year. They have the next wave of prospects, and then they have another wave coming after that one. It's interesting. I I, uh, have a piece up uh, coming up about the Royals doing kind of a a survey of talking to farm directors and, and front office types of different teams, kind of how things are going on the backfields. Talking to J.J. Piccolo with the Royals, who's really kind of in charge of their, you know, in many ways their scouting and player development. He has his hands in both. And he talked about how when they go back to their backfields, when they go back and they look at their youngest field back there, the four fields, the youngest group, that it reminds them a lot of the group that they had with Hosmer and Moustakis kind of leading the way. Now it's the Bubba Starling, Elia Hernandez, Jack Lopez, Cam Gallagher. There, there's a lot of I could keep listing guys, but they view that group as another group like that, with that have at least that potential. It's a long ways away, but yeah, they do. Right now, I think what you we talked about the Padres depth and all. What one of the things with the Royals that is impressive is their depth. One of the reasons they have that depth is is that, and Jim wrote about this. If you're you know going on our site and reading our org talent rankings, he wrote about this. 
They spent a lot of money in the draft. Right. They spent money in international signings as well. You put those two together, and they really – how they have it set up is, is I, I would say that you're going to see you – know, it, it, it's kind of the, – the wave that they need to have arrive is the pitching wave. They have the, almost all those position players who were top 100 guys, with the exception of Will Myers, are now in the big leagues. At the at the uh, at the lower level, you know, but the pitchers in that group, the Mike Montgomerys, John Lamb, uh, Jake Odorizzi, Chris Dwyer, none of those guys really, besides a couple of relievers, none of those guys arrived last year. They need some of those guys to arrive this year. The rest of them really to arrive next year. Then it becomes they've kind of got two ways after that. The next wave is the Chesler Cuthberts, the Jason Adams, the Jordano Venturas. Those guys, and then the wave after that is the Bubba Starlings and the Elier Hernandezes and the guys who are either going to be in rookie ball or King at Low A King County this year. But they do. They have kind of one wave that arrived, a next wave coming, a wave after that, and another wave. So that's that's how they're going to have to do it. But as we've talked about on the podcast before, the thing that stands out is is that they have wave after wave, and if you look around the rest of the AL Central, there's right. no one else who has two waves. Right. There are a lot of AL Central teams, Jim, uh, toward the bottom. Twins at 20 in our org rankings, Tigers at 23, um, and then obviously <laughs> Indians 29, White Sox 30, um, with the Tigers major league team kind of set for the near future, and the Royals farm system set for the near future what do you see for those other three franchises? Is it, is it a dire is it dire news that they're that far down our talent rankings? Yes and no. I mean, I, I do think I don't think there's a Detroit's you know shelf life as a major league contender. I think is a little limited because of how old their team is at the major league level. So I don't I don't see a, a big league juggernaut in that division. Uh, you know, the, a team you look at and say, boy, they're, they're going to be tough to compete with for the next five years, but. You know, being here in Chicago, I don't see how the White Sox contend in the near future unless they totally revamp what they're they're doing to acquire amateur talent. Um, you know, I, I guess their their current or or their their past methods would be best described as uh, not spending, which isn't a good way to find talent. <laughs> That's not a good um, way. Um, you know, and and I've had this conversation with scouting directors. I, I don't think by any means that spending money is a guarantee that you find talent, but in general. Yeah, it's like research and development. The more you put in, the more you're going to get. Um, you know, the Indians. You know, we'll see. I mean, the Indians. The, the part of the reason the Indians' farm system ranks as low as they do right now is they graduated and traded most of their best prospects from a year ago when we did like their system significantly more. Yeah, the last two um, years they were three and seven. So three after t- going into 2010 and seven going into 2011. And and the Chisholm, the Kittnesses, and Carlos Santana's. Those guys are up and are young talent in the big leagues. So that's not. As dire a situation as like the White Sox, who are old at the big league level and no one in the farm system. Correct. I, yeah, I, I, and I, I guess the, the the one concern with them is they put a lot of money into the 2010 draft, and a year later, outside of Drew Pomerantz, that's not necessarily looking like like money that was spent in the best way. I mean, they did try to invest in the draft, but a lot of their big money guys took a step backwards. So, you know, they they did contend unexpectedly last year. So I don't really know what to make of Cleveland. But you know, I guess getting back to the general sense of the question, John, 
you know, it's not good if you're those other teams. And unless JJ touched on, if the Royals come up with pitching, they might be able to rule that division for a while. You know, the, they're not the only division that's, that's loaded with mediocre and bad farm systems. I mean, look at the look at the NL East. You you've got the Marlins at 28, the Phillies at 27, and the Mets at 25. You know, the Braves are 15th, and the Nationals, after training for Gio Gonzalez, dropped from 1 to 12. Um, but, you know, you've got three of the six worst farm systems in baseball all in the same division. That's a great point. And the, the, I guess, to me, the difference is that uh, the Phillies, that's an old team at the major league level, probably older than Detroit, actually. Um, yeah. And showing that age in spring training with, obviously, Ryan Howard, uh, his injury from last year's playoffs. Chase Utley looks like he's never going to be Chase Utley again. He'll be, he could be a reasonable facsimile but he won't be one of the top five players in baseball again with these knees. Um, J-Roll's older, obviously Placido Polanco. Uh, that, that, that lineup showing some real cracks um, to, behind that tremendous pitching staff. Obviously the Marlins kind of all in. They have some young talent. Um, just see, I feel like it's a better division at the major league level Maybe masking, J.J., some of the, the, the uh, I don't know if I'd say rotting, but some of the problems at the minor league level the, of those systems. The, the one that you have to be just depressed, if, if you're a Mets fan, you're depressed yeah. because you're the worst team at the big league level in the biggest market, and then you have uh, a farm system that's not going to give you a whole lot of help. And right now, the kind of the question is, is okay, so what's the plan here? Because, yeah. like, same question you can really say with the White Sox. The White Sox will say, our plan is is that we're not going to try to rebuild yet. We're going to hope that Adam Dunn remembers that he was really good at one point. You know, that, right. That's their kind of approach. The Mets watch you know, Reyes leave. They don't really have a way to replace that. They've watched... You don't think Ronnie Cedeno can replace him? I'm going <laughs> to say no. But they've watched... They, they're, they're getting... They're, they're a team that's becoming built around less and less, and the real problem is is that there aren't many guys coming up that you can point to and say, okay, but this is what they're going to rebuild around. Obviously, I feel like they got some good news this week with the Madoff settlement. Maybe they're starting to finally put that behind them, but I think it's a great point. I mean, Jim, they're really kind of reaping what they've sown in the draft again. I mean, like, uh, they just were not a team that was uh, a re- that regularly went over slot. In fact, regularly they did not go – over slot during that 2007 to 2011 period, and their farm system's kind of paying for it, and they also seem like they really seemed, uh, they were a pretty conservative drafting team, not just in terms of money, but they drafted a lot of guys from smaller colleges, and like, it's great to hit on Dylan G, and maybe Zach Lutz turns into a nice role player, um, but it's, it's hard, they, just, they, they really haven't drafted anybody with the potential to be a star, it feels like for, until uh, Nimmo last year, it doesn't feel like they drafted a potential star for several years. Yeah, you know, last year they they kind of changed their approach and and theoretically will will continue to to do that going forward. You know, out of necessity after Sandy Alderson came in as GM, but no, you're right. I mean, they, they went big over slot for Mike Pelfrey in one of the early years of, of Omar Minaya's reign, and then they didn't after that. And you know, I don't know if that's because the Wilpons were you know in lockstep with Bud Selig, like Jerry Reinsdorf is under the old informal sliding system, or the Wilpons, you know, because of these financial issues or, or some combination of both. But, yeah, they're in trouble. And, you know, the one thing I was going to say, too, when you look at these these bad farm systems in the NL East, when you were talking about the Phillies, John, the, the Phillies have, have brought in talent. Right. They just traded a bunch of talent the last years to get Halliday and to get Cliff Lee and Roy Oswalt and Hunter Pence. The Marlins and the Mets, by contrast, are where they are. Because they haven't been able to bring in talent, they just have not drafted well recently. There, there does seem or to be a, international guy. There's a steady theme. 
if you are a close friend of Bud Selig, one of Bud Selig's best allies among ownership, that's a pretty good sign that your farm system's not going to be very good. <laughs> yeah, if you bought into the old informal slotting system, uh, I'm trying, you, you, I'm it trying was to silly. think of a team that did that and did it well. Well, it's hard to consistently because, again, I mean, it's research and development. The more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. I would say consistently the two clubs, and we talked about this on the last podcast, the Phillies and the Rockies are actually two clubs, especially because of their approach in Latin America. But in the draft, the Rockies haven't had success with pitchers. They have had some with hitters. Um, you know, I'm not talking about like the immediate last couple of years, but you know, guys like Dexter Fowler – Ian Stewart, Chris Lionetta were solid regulars. They didn't draft a star. Um, you know, obviously Tulowitzki is you know yeah, where they hit on it in the draft pretty good. I don't remember how over slot he was, but uh, they didn't. They certainly didn't think he was going to be there at seven when they drafted him, and that obviously worked out pretty well. Um, but the Phillies, they have brought in talent like we're talking about. They just have traded a lot of it, and they generally, if they go over slot, it's not tremendously over slot. They, I, I can't think they're not they're not like the Tigers where. Rick Porcello falls, and they're going to give him $7 million, or, you know, Miller, Mabin. That hasn't been what the Phillies have done. And they've brought in talent despite regularly drafting at the at the end. They've given away some picks for free agents, and they do have a general manager who, and they're kind of like, he's almost, Ruben Amaro's almost got the same approach. It feels like disdain for prospects that Brian Sabian has evinced for 15 years in San Francisco. And then the Giants were bad enough that those first-round picks were protected, and, oh, we have to draft the first-round pick, then they were pretty good at it, Lincecum, Bumgarner, Posey, and, and you have this. Oh, this, maybe this these first-round picks can be useful for But us. the Phillies, I think, did do a, a good job. I they're, they're quite good at drafting, identifying, and developing pitching talent. I think they're quite good at uh, low-cost international signings, just like the, the Rockies are. And that's helped both those clubs still have, I think, productive farm systems without spending a ton, and yet – and the Phillies do wish they had that homegrown infield position player who could step in for some of their older infielders because uh, they clearly have a need there. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with John, Jim, and JJ. Uh, one of their organizations I definitely wanted to hit on in the podcast, guys, was the Pirates. Um, just looking back, I know that these aren't uh, always apples to apples, but I know we, we have the five-year or six-year chart we used to put in the handbook uh, where so you could see where our system is ranked through the years. It feels like the Pirates, I'm looking at the handbook from a couple years ago, the Pirates have been a double-digit ranking farm system going back to at least 2005, I'm sure back before that for a few years. This is an organization that has obviously well-chronicled 19 straight losing seasons at the major league level, and yet even though they always do draft high, and in the last couple years they have spent a lot of money in the draft, it just feels like they can't quite get over that hump Obviously, after last year, $13 million on two players, Garrett Cole and Josh Bell, we feel like they made progress up to 11 after they did 19 last year, uh, 15 the year before. But both of you guys can take this. Jim, maybe you can go first. Uh, you know, What's just your impression of the progress the Pirates are making in their rebuilding effort under Neil Huntington? Well, getting to your first point, John, I actually have the rankings. I popped up my, my Excel spreadsheet going back to 84. The Pirates have not been in the top 10 since 1998. Ooh. When we ranked them second, and, and more bad news if you're a Pirates fan, they were number one in 1997. Every other team that's been number one since then, 
was in the playoffs, I want to say within three or four years, and several of these teams won championships, whereas the Pirates obviously are on their, their endless streak of, of losing seasons. So, um, well, you, you know, remember, you years... remember when we did the uh, study last year with the Royals, like of what the number one farm systems and all that, the Pirates were the outlier. That was the one number yeah. one where it's like, wow, almost no one from that turned and out. They, they ranked A couple guys were older than they, you know, than we thought at the time. And, and Well, they had Jose Guillen, they had Chris Benson, they had Chad Hermanson who didn't work out. Probably um, Ramos Ramirez, I want to say, maybe. I think, I yeah, think he was, might have been who there. Who did work out? Bronson Arroyo was, was one of the guys. Uh, he was in the top ten of the Carolina League that year, I recall, um, who they gave up for nothing. They released him. Yeah, he was released, so – they weren't always great at evaluating their own talent. But, you know, again, getting back to your second yeah. question, John, I think they've made some improvements. I mean, in 2008, four years ago, we had them as the 26th best farm system. They're 11th now. But I, I think what stands out is, you know, the Pirates have spent more money on the draft uh, in Neil Huntington's four years as GM than anybody. You know, $48 million in bonuses. And I feel like they've, they've made some positive steps. They're going in the right direction. But at the same time, I don't know if they've quite gotten their full bang for their buck. I mean, you look at their system, you know, just even at the way we've got their system lined up, you got to love their top five prospects. You know, Garrett Cole and Jameson Tyone might be the best pair of starting pitching prospects any team has. You can certainly make that argument. Josh Bell, I I think, is going to be a tremendous hitter. Uh, you know, Starling Marte is a guy who keeps producing as he moves up the ladder, a legit everyday center field prospect. And Luis Heredia is a kid they signed out of Mexico who's in the Gulf Coast League and still very young. But, you know, you can see the high upside on him. So all the, the, that's a great core. But after that, it's just kind of, you know, you got Kyle McPherson, who's more of kind of your steady complementary player. You have Tony Sanchez, whose stock took a big tumble last year. You have Robbie Grossman, who a lot of scouts don't believe is really for real, even though he had a big year. You have Stetson Alley, who's got a big arm but had no clue where the ball was going last year. You have Jeff Locke, who's another one of those complimentary, you know, number four starter types. And so for a team that spent all that money, you got your, 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 your fab five, I guess, of those guys. You can say, okay, those guys are cornerstones. But the, the, their depth is not quite what you'd like it to be for a team that's invested that heavily in the draft. And, J.J., you've kind of been studying kind of uh, what, what prospect handbook te- uh, rankings have produced over the course of our 11, 12 years. You, I mean, it's an imperfect measure, but using war as one measure, it feels like the teams that get the most production out of their farm system are the ones that develop stars. Well, not the ones that have great depth. So maybe it doesn't matter as much they don't have depth, but I, I, I'm kind of with Jim. I'd love to see them produce more depth. I think you have to have both, though, because uh, an example, a perfect example right now, considering what they've just recently done. But as valuable, as key as Albert Pujols is, you, you don't talk about the Cardinals being a World Series team, these last, you know, World Series champion, and they also uh, you know, a team that's made other World Series appearances. You don't talk about that if they don't have Albert Pujols in the last decade. Right. You just don't. Right. And Albert Pujols, over the last decade, when you talk about prospects who've come up 2001 to 2011, to yeah. 2011 there's Albert Pujols is the best. That doesn't surprise anyone when you look at it from a war standpoint. Well, but the reason they win the World Series last year is Pujols. But it's also a lot of the depth that they had developed as well. Right. It's also that depth that allowed them to make the trade to redo their bullpen, right. which helped them. The Colby Rasmus trade was in part made possible by the fact they had another guy in John Jay, who's not a prototype center fielder, certainly. Maybe not even profile as a regular, 
but he hit last year, and he was able to play that position to an acceptable level that they could deal Rasmus and uh, remake their bullpen, which we all saw in the postseason was was so crucial. So it, it feels like the Pirates uh, have that opportunity to jump forward, but at the same time, they're far some ranks behind even the Cardinals right now. And while I love that Pirates top five, I like the Cardinals top five. I like the Cardinals' impact talent. Um, they can match them power arm for power arm, and then you throw on top of that, I, I think you go deeper in. They, they've got better, you know, they may have some better hitters. And I, I guess this doesn't, I guess it probably depends on everybody uh, in each individual approach. Maybe I shouldn't do this, but I will admit that I take an organization's track record for developing those players. That's a small factor in the organization talent rankings for me. For example, right now, like Red Sox, Pitching prospects, I'll, uh, until I see <laughs> until I see someone who's going to be the next Clay Buckholz or John Lester. And they had a lot of other guys since those two guys who haven't come through, and we saw that last year. They didn't have anybody to help in the major league level last year, and, and it torpedoed well, their their postseason. Are there? Do you guys ever take that into account, like how an organization develops guys, we're, JJ? We're not we're not the only ones who do that. Like uh, I was talking, you know to a scout recently and he was just talking about how good Dylan Bundy looks and then he said you know but yeah, but, but he's you, an Oriole but but he's an Oriole so you have to be worried and it's like well you know that's you know for for right or wrong that's the the feeling in baseball about the Orioles is is that man they've got some really impressive young prospects a couple of them not a ton but a right. couple of them but the concern is is that it's it is it's something where uh, you, you take one player and you take another, and every player's unique and all. You put one in the Orioles system over the last 10 years. You put another in, say, the Cardinals system or the Rangers system or take a, a you the know, Rays. The Rays system. You feel a lot more likely that the Rays are going to figure out a way to get, if it's a pitcher, if you yeah. put a pitcher in the Rays system, you feel like there's a pretty good chance they're going to get the most out of his talent because they've shown it with player after player. And and I think with that, one of the things is is that the Matt Moores of the world, the Jeremy Hellickson's of the world, those are guys who add to that feeling with a team like the Rays because it's one thing, again, nothing against the Pirates here. If Jamison Tyone ends up being good, that's a good development story. You didn't screw him up. Right. But he also was a guy who came into that draft where everyone said, we love this guy. Right. He was a consensus top three player in the draft, and the Pirates, Jim, said that they like Tyone on their board ahead of Bryce Harper. Now, you're doing a story, a column, I want you to give it all away, about Matt Moore and the scout who signed him. But to me, I do give a little bit more credence to Ray's pitching prospects because from Jeff Neiman, it took, it took a little bit longer, but he's become a productive big leaguer, to David Price, to James Shields, to Matt Moore, They've shown they know what they're doing when it comes to developing pitchers. I, I agree, although I, I think I agree with what you're saying, and I, and I look at that stuff too. Although, again, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, and, and not that I'm trying to hammer on the A's, 10 years ago we would have said, oh, man, the A's know what they're doing with Tim Hudson and Barry Zito and Mark Mulder and you know all the success they're having at the major league level. 
And the A's pro- you know, haven't been able to, to really be a playoff factor the last five years. You know what, I don't think we would have said that because they had that draft of windfall in 97, and none of those guys worked out except for the sixth-round pick that was Hudson. So I but, actually don't uh, think I don't know. They're credit Rick Peterson you know, w- was doing something. I'm just saying I, I agree with the Rays, and I, I do look at that, but that stuff can also change on you in a hurry too. So, I, so I'll all I'm saying is that, but I'll, I do I'll factor say... it in, but I, but I also – it's a small part for me because – I think it's very hard to say, you know, and like even JJ was saying, even if you think an organization isn't good at developing talent, I'm not going to detract too much from Dylan Bundy because he's with the Orioles. That's fair. He is Dylan Bundy. And you he's said you're pretty damn good. And John, you said it's a very it's small, a small factor. Part. But it's, it's, right. But, by the way, I, and, but if you get on the A's digression, I would argue that the A's problem over the last, you know, I know they traded to bring some of these guys in. A's problem hadn't been developing pitching though. And I think even back then, right. the question was, can they develop hitters? And the question still is, can they develop hitters? Yeah, back then they came up with uh, some pretty great hitters, but uh, Eric Chavez no, but that, obviously – Back then, you've got to go back well, over a decade. Eric Chavez now. was 98 uh, uh, big league – I guess he was our minor league player of the year. Was he drafted 95, Jim? Right. So, so going back 16 years, Giambi drafted, what, 20 years ago? They got the Hada. I'm saying if you say in right. the 21st century, right. that's oh, yeah. been a running question for them. No doubt, just like it is for some colleges, uh, which dovetails into my column. <laughs> I think it is for some pro clubs, too. That's kind of where I'm going, Joe. That's why that's on my mind. Um, I did want to talk real quick. Uh, one other organization I wanted to pick on was – I do think – not pick on. I think it's worth talking about a couple of organizations that are bigger market teams uh, that do spend in the draft. Um, the Yankees, whether they dropped in our, in our rankings, and the Cubs that uh, kind of right, been right there in the middle, uh, Jim, and the Cubs – have this history where they've 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 accumulated some talent and they've had some guys break through, but I think more often than not, they've had their prospects fall a little short of what was expected of them. Whether it's a guy like Pryor who hit his ceiling early but then got hurt, um, but then really, especially in terms of developing position players, before Starling Castro, it had been a while to the Cubs since the Cubs had done that. Uh, what kind of farm system does the, does Theo Epstein take over? Do you see that changing? Their philosophy changing very much with Theo, Jed Hoyer, Jason McLeod taking over player development and scouting in the in Chicago. Well, I think every every time you have a new regime, they talk about building from within. I mean, that's that's a given. Nobody ever comes in and says, "Hey, we're just going to spend on free agency and we don't care about the farm system." I I think with, with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod, I, I don't think the goal has changed. I mean, Tom Ricketts has put money into the draft the last couple of years after the Cubs have been kind of middle of the pack, and and really the Cubs have spent over the last five years kind of right in the middle of the pack of draft spending. I, I don't think that it's a new commitment to player development. I, I think with those guys coming in, it's about the process. They have a process they used in in Boston that they felt was very very uh, effective. Uh, Jed and Jason McLeod kind of you know the way did the same type of things their two years in San Diego and helped turn that farm system around. So I don't think it's so much a new commitment or new style. It's maybe doing it, you know, the way these guys did the, did it in Boston when they were they were rebuilding that farm system. Uh you're right about the Cubs system. I mean, they've got it's more you know, I've had guys tell me when I've done our Cubs top 30 list in the last couple of years that they have they have very good depth. They might have as many big league future big leaguers in their system as anybody, but the problem is it's it's more complementary players and role players than really those those cornerstone guys. And even you look at last year when the Cubs spent a bunch of money on the draft, I mean, the, the Cubs love Dan Vogelbach and Sean Dunstan Jr. and Dylan Maples, and, and they spent $12 million total on the draft. 
other organizations weren't as high on those guys. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how those guys pan out. But the, the Cubs farm system does need some work. I, I do think there's some depth there, but it's more of a farm system that would really be set up to help a team that is ready to contend right now, which the Cubs aren't, than it is to provide talent to help rebuild a club that's in need of that. And they, they just don't have enough of that right now, I don't think. And JJ, the Yankees are kind of the other end of that. I mean, they're obviously a major league team that is contending and is built to contend, but at the same time, does have a lot of older aging stars, and yet uh, the farm system is kind of ranked right in there and obviously takes a little bit of a hit in our talent rankings when you trade a, a guy like a Jesus Montero. They get a nice prospect but, back in Jose Campos, but, but I, I feel like they're a little bit better suited to complement their major league roster because uh, their major league roster is better. And, and not only that, but and this is what when they trade away Montero, in many ways, this is what Yankees prospects are a lot of times are, are for. Because right. you look at it right now. I, I'll put it this way. They're not that they don't have some things to refine. And I know that Ivan Nova, there were guys that the Yankees did bring up. But we've talked about with them, Batonsis and Benuelos. And I think it feels like it was two springs ago that Benuelos, maybe it was last spring. It was but, last spring, yeah. But they're no closer to being big league stalwarts yet. It's something where... If you're in the Yankees, Andy Pettit's going to resign. Well, okay, we're going to move you one, you know, you're now one step further away. It, it's something where if you're the Yankees and it comes down to a question of, okay, there are certain situations where okay, we can work a guy in at this position and he can be a complimentary piece at the start and we'll let him develop. And that's worked out well for him because let's not take away because Brett Gardner, Robinson right. Cano, right. they've had guys who've stepped in and filled those roles. Jabba Chamberlain has been a little bit better than yeah, the Jabba, complimentary Yeah, Cano's been – no, Camo, what I'm saying, stepped in as a complimentary player. You don't the, – the, the focus is not on you, and then you may develop into a star. Gotcha. And in, in certain situations. At the same time, though, they're also a team – if you're a Jesus Montero, you could be a star. But he was – the reality is, is in a lot of organizations, he'd have been up a lot sooner. Right. He just stayed, but there wasn't an opportunity for him to come up. Well, you play the same position. We're we're good there. I mean, how long would Starlin Castro have stayed in the Yankees minor league system uh, as opposed to being rushed to Chicago? Not just rushed, but promoted and being the guy. Like, you're, you know, the, you're Cubs, the, the you're Starling the Castro and the Cubs right. take on whoever. You know, that's, well, that's how and, it feels. And, and the thing about it is, is what where the Yankees farm system, I think there are another organization that a year from now, I don't want to say – not every organization, if you wanted to break it down, you could say, well, a year from now they could be better. Yes. But they're an organization. They have a lot of intriguing guys who were in rookie ball last year. Right. Who, if they – Championships at rookie ball and short season, and, and they did it with a lot of prospects and a lot of older guys. If those guys do it again at higher levels this year, if the Mason Williams, the Ravel Santanas, the Dante Bichettes are going to rank a lot higher next year you know, on the overall prospect rankings than they did this year because at that point you've got more track record on them. They're a little closer to the big leagues. Yeah. That being the case, they've got a lot of guys like that. and So that's where I think they could be a system that takes a step up next year. Yeah, the Yankees uh, definitely uh, – I, I think we, talk about, uh, we talked about the Blue Jays earlier with Lansing, how uh, like that, they're going to have a lot of young prospects. That pitching staff at Lansing could be pretty interesting. I think Charleston is going to be one of the most talent-laid, one of the most fascinating – Class A or any minor league clubs in the whole in the whole minor leagues, you could have prospects pretty much everywhere. Tyler Austin at first, 
Um, you have a, if he's healthy, Ravel Santana in the outfield, Cito Culver, Angelo Gomes, Dante Bichette Jr., probably, Mason Williams. Probably Gary Sanchez back at catcher. He could very well be back there. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating uh, low-class A lineup in Charleston, and uh, one that I think we'll uh, be making some road trips for. I'm getting ready to make a road trip down to Columbia, South Carolina for some college baseball. Uh, Jim's got a road trip for a vacation. I'm sure Jim's looking forward to that vacation. going to be all sunshine and rainbows on the on vacation, right, Jim? Yep, 14-hour drive. Uh, be a lot of fun with, the, with all the kids in the car. So. And JJ's going to be holding down the fort here. So uh, thanks for making the time, Jim. Uh, on, to, on to the next uh, the next assignment of Baseball America. On to the next podcast. Thanks, everybody, for the download. And uh, we'll see you on Monday for the college podcast. For John, uh, J, well, for JJ and for Jim, I'm John. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.